Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, As Jeff always says, these are the most important words that we're going to hear today. So let's stand while I read the word of the Lord. And then when I'm finished, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And you will say, thanks be to God. So this is Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for being here. We are um, deep into a series in the book of uh, Romans, and we're we're in a um, a part of the the book of Romans towards the latter part where there's a lot of like here's how you live out what was said in the first part of Romans, and so that that passage, um, Mason, if you could put that. Well, actually, it's the put the beginning of it. it um, back up. The let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another. This, this looks like something you'd put on a plaque and put on the wall in your house hoping your kids would read it and maybe do it every once in a while, right? Like, can you guys just get along? Love one another with brotherly affection. Um, and this whole part of the, the whole part of the, of this part of Romans is tricky in the sense that um, we're moving from <clears throat> the first um, eight chapters, 11 chapters of Romans, really eight chapters, talking about the, the truth about who we are and who God is and how we relate to each other and the work of Jesus on our behalf and, and the gospel. And then, and then the latter part of it, we're talking about the implications of that, those truths in your lives and how they play out in your lives. But they end up um, sounding more like, here's some stuff to do, so just do this stuff. And, and it, that's where I want to be careful not to just say, just do this. Um, because a lot of us, I think, grew up in churches that said, just do this. How many of you grew up in a just do this church? And it could be an angry just do this, like, just do this, and maybe God will like you. And you'll be better than everybody if you just do this, because they're not going to do this. Or a really nice just do this, like, just do this, like, just be nice, okay? Um, And there are, like, what is true about us, if you believe the first eight chapters of Romans, and um, the, the divinity of Jesus, and um, the reality of Jesus coming from heaven to earth and Jesus living the life to sh- just to show us what we were supposed to be, what humanity is supposed to be like in the person and life of Jesus and then dying uh, on our behalf at the death that we were supposed to die, raising from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and then giving that spirit to us um, and then surrendering to him as a king who's leading us into his kingdom. If all that stuff is true, it has to change the way you see everything about your life. And if it changes the way you see everything about your life, then it's going to change the way um, that you live out your life. 
But it's, it's hard for this latter part not to devolve into just law and just do this. And, and that's what I want to be careful of how not to do that. So last week was how do you think differently about yourself? And the, the key word was don't super think about yourself. And I think that is uh, culturally what we're doing right now is super thinking about ourselves. And Paul basically says you don't have to think about yourself because once you realize what God says is true about you, you're, like, you're secure in what he has said about you. Um, and you start to see yourself in context of the people around you. And this passage moves into how do you see the people around you, uh, starting with the church and the, um, and the body of Christ. But I want to take a minute and do some Bible study on this paragraph that I'm using today. Because as I was studying it, it made me think about the paragraph before it, which I kind of skipped last week, and made me think um, that I had the end of the last week's passage a little bit off. So bear with me for just a second. Last, last week's passage, in the middle of it, and this is really where I stopped preaching, said this, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So we think about ourselves, but we have to understand ourselves in context of the body of Christ because we're members of a body and we all have a function and we all have dignity and we all need each other. Um, then he said, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, the one who teaches, the one who exhorts, the one who contributes, I'm going really fast, um, the one who leads, the one who does acts of mercy, and list, lists all these gifts. And that was the end of where I stopped last week. And then he starts with this passage, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And it seems like he's changing the subject and moving on to something else. And, um, and the, the heading in my Bible is marks of a true Christian and... Um, just giving us a list. Now, let me try and re-understand these two paragraphs together coming off of the last passage and say two things. One is that the list is a, is a rhetorical tool that's used in the Bible, but we don't really see it as a list because the, they don't, translators don't put bullet points in the Bible. It might be helpful if they put bullet points. Like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, does not envy. Like that could be a list of bullet points and we might understand it a little bit better. And these two paragraphs, the gifts, and then this paragraph I'm going to go through today, really would do better as lists of bullet points. That's the first thing. And the second one is this, that sometimes English translators add words to help make sense of things, but those words aren't really in there. And so they've done that in this passage, and if you take those words out, then I think the passage makes sense. So let me geek out for just a second. This is, um, do I have this picture? So this is just from ESV.org. Anyone can go here. And you click on the Greek translation, and it's got, like, the English words, and below it, it has the Greek words that correspond to those English words. So, like, gifts is charismata, and grace is charis, and you kind of hear that sometimes. But so then it goes through and gives all the Greek words, but then when it gets to let us use them, it has four dots. A dot is not a Greek word. It just means that there's, they added that to help to try and make sense of the passage based on how they're under this, understanding the passage. So, uh, so when, you, when you look at that sentence again and take that out, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And if you, um, well, that came through wrong. So what that, let us use them, should be crossed out. Just take that out, and then you've got a list. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches, the one who exhorts, the one who contributes, the one who leads, the one who does acts of mercy. And, then you, and so that... So that's how that should make sense. 
me back up just a step and just trying to put the thought together. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then go to the next paragraph because there's a list in there. Let your love for each other as members of the same body be genuine. And I think this is the captures best what he's saying in terms of the thought. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, because if you take let us use them out, then that list doesn't, it's not a sentence. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let love be genuine. Let your love for each other as members of the same body be genuine. So again, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let love be genuine, despising what is evil, clinging to what is good. And then he gives another list. In regard to brotherly affection, loving one another tenderly. In regard to honor, outdoing one another. In regard to eagerness, not being lazy. In regard to the spirit, fervent. In regard to hope, or in regard to the Lord serving, in regard to hope, rejoicing, in regard to tribulation, enduring, in regard to prayer, being devoted, and in regard to the needs of the saints, sharing, pursuing hospitality. Does that make any sense? A little bit. Um, so it's really the same thought, and he puts two lists in it. And when you look at it that way, um, I think it, it makes more sense. And I don't think it's so much, I think he's still talking about the body of Christ and the church. I don't think it's so much a list of what to do as a vision of what a church should be like. And so, I, and so he gives us two lists, and one of the lists is more, I think the gifts is more pragmatic, more like God's given you a gift, use this gift in context of the church. The, the other one is more kind of the nature of, of the organization, of the, of the culture of the church. And um, I don't know, I, maybe we don't think about that much. I think about that in terms of you guys, when I talk to you, especially when you change jobs after you've been in a job for a few months, just from a leadership standpoint, I ask questions about the culture of your workplace because I'm curious about it. And so recently I've gotten, so one person changed jobs and, and Dan went out to California, met with his new people. And the thing that, he, that stuck out that he said to me was that um, the, average, the average person is, is there for like six years, which in his industry is a long time. And what that said to him is people want to be there. And it told him something about the culture of his workplace. And that was significant. Um, someone told me recently that they've moved from a workplace where they had a lot of freedom in how they did what they did to a place where they felt like they were micromanaged. And so that wasn't good. But I don't know, it might have been a little bit more intense and they might have gotten more, more stuff done. And so, like, that's a culture thing. Someone told me this years ago, I won't forget this. They said, um, they said um, yeah, if you leave at five, it's likely that one of the higher-ups on your way out is going to say, hey, thanks for stopping by today. We appreciate that. Hmm. How do you feel about that workplace culture? Yeah, not great. Um, and so these are, the, these are marks, this list are marks of a healthy Christian community, of a healthy church. And he starts with this, let your love be genuine, despising what is evil, clinging to what is good. Let your love be genuine, despising what's evil, and clinging to what is good. And when I thought about that in terms of, of, of a culture and of relationships, um, here's where my mind went. Uh, and I'm going to step on some southern toes for just a second. Because I'm, fr I'm from Wisconsin, which is in the Midwest. Any other Midwesterners here? 
Yes, we have a lot of Midwestern people. We've got Indiana, Indianans. We've got Iowans. We've got, where are you from? Yeah, that's, oh, shit, just hold on, just hold that thought. We've got Michiganders. You got that right? We got uh, Ohioans in here, Minnesotans. Uh, we got a Minnesotan. I don't think he's here today. Um, we got Illinoisans. <laughs> be honest, I'm from Wisconsin. I don't like Illinois very much, so I'm going to make fun of them a little bit. Um, I found this map of the Midwest. God, I hope you can see this. Map of the Midwest made by people who are not from the Midwest. Just take that in for a second. We're going to spend a minute here, okay? Because I am from cheese. That's not completely inaccurate. Um, they have cities marked. Green Bay is called Vince Lombardi. We'll take it. A little offended by Chicago being in Wisconsin. Uh, snow is Minnesota. Fargo, that's about all that's up there, let's be honest. <laughs> this is a tricky one. It's funny. Kansas, or wait, is this one Kansas. I had to look it up, okay? <laughs> I had to look it up. And Kansas is Nebraska, and wait, this one is Kansas. We have Missourians in here. Um, just, just, those two states are too close together and spelled too similarly for anybody to be expected to keep them straight, okay? So that's not really Mississippi, it's Missouri, right? Just wanna make sure we're all on the same page with that. I kinda like the fact that Illinois isn't even mentioned on the map and they just put Indiana there, Michigan. You ever heard they're smitten by the mitten? That's kind of what they talk about with the shape of it. And it should be like that because that part that's Canada is the upper peninsula of Michigan, which should be a part of Wisconsin. Um, and then I love the fact that Ohio is called Idaho. And in Lake Superior, it says, is this a lake? Um, that's on a site called Raygun. It's a t-shirt. I might get it. Um, so there's a thing in the Midwest called Midwest Nice. Has anybody ever heard of this Midwest Nice? And uh, this is one definition I saw. There is a place in the United States where it would be considered offensive not to wave at the stranger driving past you. For many, it may seem odd, but in the Midwest, it's customary Midwest Nice. Uh, that's where I'm from, man. These are my people. That's, that's not, that's true. There is a, a phrase or a, a word that we have up there. It's ope which is a combination of oops and oh. And so we'd be like, oh, let me get by you there. And, um, and it's, we say ope all the time. If you want to understand Midwest, Wisconsin in particular, look up Charlie Barron's, B-E-R-E-N-S, and, um, and watch that. I went home for my dad's 80th birthday a month or two ago, and um, the highlight of that trip, sorry, Dad, was four hours by myself at the state fair with my people. So alone, but with all my people. And the first thing I did was I went to where they showed the cows. You can't see this very well, but it's like all these teenagers showing their cows. It's their Super Bowl, man. This is all the 4-H kids. My best friend growing up was a dairy farmer, so I was in 4-H. Used to hang out with the cow kids. It was great. I got a close-up of this one because I didn't know they made fuzzy cows. You can't. I don't know if you can see how fuzzy they are. I don't know if that's a genetic modification or whatever, but they could be pets. Um, this... Do we have this little video? This, they're showing pigs. Oh, 
That judge is serious as a heart attack about showing these pigs. He says it's an unfortunate circumstance there. A pig make eye, good eye contact. He said that over and over again. The pigs are judged on how well they make eye contact. These are pigs. Um, this is a pig drinking from a water bottle. Come on, that's the cutest pig you've ever seen in your life. What do I got here? These are my people. Cheese curd tacos. Is that what we got next? We got th these t-shirts. Talk curdy to me. <laughs> Lactose tolerant. <laughs> and when you go to the Wisconsin State Fair, you don't leave until you get a cream puff. This is why the state of Wisconsin might have a little bit of a weight problem. Uh, Midwest nice. Now, let me contrast it to Southern hospitality. This is what I saw about Southern hospitality, showing graciousness, kindness, and warmth to others' behaviors that, behavior that's altruistic. Can I just ask the Midwesterners how they feel about Southern hospitality? How do you feel about that? Why? Hmm. Whoa, now, now we're going. Feels a little superficial. And the evidence I will present in favor of my case is the phrase, bless your heart. What does the, the phrase bless your heart mean? Duck. It means duck because both guns are loaded and they're coming out after you. Um, I forget what side I saw this on. If a southerner looks at you with a sardonic smile and says bless your heart, it usually means she thinks you're an idiot or your opinion is stupid. Uh, they're just being gender inclusive. She, it's he or she, you could be either. Um, okay, now I kept reading about. I kept reading further about Midwest nice, and so let me go back to my own people. Midwest nice is the cultural stereotype applied to the behavior of people in the Midwest, as they're known for being unusually polite, reserved, or passive aggressive. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> then I went to the Urban Dictionary. Midwest nice, a concept that is, this is so great, not well understood in coastal areas of the United States, or frankly, anywhere next to an ocean. It's a manner of non-confrontationally addressing a situation that is somehow annoying in a passive-aggressive manner that is subtle enough to be considered friendly. <laughs> For example, if someone says you're fine, it almost certainly means you're doing something to annoy them. Let me sneak, oh, let me sneak past you means you're in someone's way. I can wait means you need to hurry up. And you sure that's a good idea? Means it's not a good idea and you look stupid. <laughs> that might be true. Uh, that seems fairly accurate. Now my point with this is that love, let love be genuine is harder than, that's a high bar. That's a high bar. Like putting that in the culture of a group of people um, is hard. And I don't think anybody does it particularly well. Like so the gossipy stuff or the passive aggressive stuff is not Paul's vision, Jesus' vision for the community that is a church. Um, I don't think the South has its stuff, the Midwest has its stuff, the Northeast is just rude. Like, they'll tell you the truth, but they're just rude. Um, people in the mountain states, which is where you lived, there are mountains there, right? Okay. And you guys just moved there to get away from the rest of us. 
And, I mean, God only knows what's going on on the West Coast, you know, but like half the people are leaving and going to the mountains, and the mountain people are like, what are you doing coming here? We got here to get away from you. Um, None of us do it great. And so let your love be genuine, despising what is evil and clinging to what is good. Uh, I think sets up this list, you know. Do um, Do we love each other? Is our love for each other genuine love? Um, and I, I mean, it's probably matters of degree, you know. I think we do this, I think we do this well. Um, I think we love each other. I think our love is genuine. Uh, but then I get to, do we despise what's evil in each other's lives? And think, man, do we do that? Or do we sometimes accommodate it so we don't offend someone? because we don't want to risk a relationship. And so we end up turning a blind eye to things that we're concerned about. And then the, all it just gets hard because sometimes um, you don't want to hear things that you need to hear. Sometimes you're just not there yet and you're not ready to hear them. And sometimes someone is a little bit too eager to tell you them and not that eager to hear the things themselves. And sometimes you just don't know. Like most of the time, you don't know. Um, and it takes a lot of work to be able to live out uh, despising what's evil in each other's lives. I've said this over the years, that if you can get to this level with a few people in your church community, we're in a good place. What do you know about me that I don't know about me, that you don't even want to tell me about me, because you're pretty sure I'm not ready to hear it? Like, if, you, if there's a few people in here, not everybody, a few people that can, that can speak to you at that level, that's a healthy thing um, for us as a church. Do we cling to what is good? Uh, cling to it. That, the word for cling is the word that Jesus used when he, when he restates Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 3, and says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That's the word for cling. Do we cling to what is good? Do we recognize it, rejoice in it, celebrate it, honor it? Um, That's how he sets up this list. And so the list, as I said, I think is talking about the culture of a church. And so I'm going to go through the list. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, I think. And, um, And I'll say three things about it. One at the beginning that I'll reiterate at the end, and then just two more quickly at the end. But these traits, I think, are similar to the the list of the gifts of the Spirit in the last paragraph, in that I think each of us are better at some than we are at others, and we bring them to the party. So some of them come naturally to us, and, um, and we can lead in them, and others of them don't, and we need, to, we need to follow them, and we need to ask for them, and we need to develop them. So, so let me go through this list. In regard to brotherly affection, loving one another tenderly, um, th- that word for loving one another is, is a combination of phileo and storge. So phileo is brotherly love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Storge is the love of a parent for a child. And so that is a tender um, affection. I uh, may have four kids, so I know this love. Maybe most, most starkly is you know, a few years ago being in Nicaragua and, and feeling like God, we were in an orphanage and feeling like this, God, and I, didn't, I honestly didn't want to be there that day, but feeling like God said, 
hey, you should adopt this little girl, and immediately feeling that storge for her that, I'd, that I only felt for my own children. Um, that type of love. I'm uh, not good at this, and this has been the butt of many jokes over the years. Fair enough, you know. But, like, legitimately is something that I, that I think about, pray about a lot. Um, and this part of it might be being from the Midwest, and there is kind of a Midwestern reservedness um, that I think is different than is in the South. My nieces, uh, were, we were talking, this is probably like five years ago, they had moved to Virginia, and they started commenting about how everybody hugs everybody. Like all their friends' friends tried to hug them, and they're like, I don't even know you. Why would I hug you? And I'm like, finally, someone understands me. Like, I just don't know what the rules are when it comes to it. But there's just a reserve to me. Um, and man, it, my wife would want me to be less reserved and more affectionate. Uh, and I, I get that. My, um, John, uh, John Fouché's brother passed away um, a couple months ago now. And as John was going through that, like John is as close a friend as I have had the past few years. And I had a hard time, and John doesn't have a hard time with this, just saying, hey man, like, I want you to know that I love you, and I'm, that I love you. Like, that doesn't come naturally to me. For some of you, that comes perfectly naturally, you know? And some of you are really good at it. And, but that's what should characterize us as a church. Like, a brotherly affection, loving one another tenderly. And I've said this before, the lobby after service is maybe my favorite part of Sunday morning. And I'm a little wiped out, so I don't even want to be there. But, like, it's one of my favorite parts of Sunday mornings just because people love each other, you know? So that should mark a church. In regard to honor, outdoing one another. Um, this one I think I'm better at, because if you do something and I have a chance to compliment you on it, I think I take it. Um, but this made me think about, my sister, when I was a kid, she cried every time she got a haircut. I don't know. Did anybody else cry every time they got a haircut? Nobody? It was just my sister. Well, anytime I notice that a woman got her haircut, I'll say, oh, did you get your haircut? Like, just because my sister cried, and I don't want you to cry. And so, like, I just want to notice something. You know what I mean? Um, when people get promoted, uh, I try and notice it and have a conversation about it and compliment the person. Um, when it's, you know, when I'm, health and fitness is a thing for me. When someone gets into that, like, I want to talk about it and just encourage them. And I think that's what should characterize us, that we're outdoing one another in honor. This would stick out in our culture. If you had a place where you went, and people were genuinely just trying to make you feel good about yourself, and you were looking for opportunities to make them feel good about themselves, like, that would be different. And, um, and I think it's hard to find. Like, some workplaces are genuinely like that. I think a lot of workplaces are like, people are just trying to get ahead, and sometimes you're trying to get ahead of the person that you're next to. Um, or people just can't get gossipy and catty, and this isn't what marks it. Um, man, I think about youth sports culture. A lot of us are wrapped up in that. That can be cutthroat. Uh, I can even think about family. And when you have family that is guarding against old hurts that haven't been resolved, it can be hard to outdo one another in honor um, because you haven't been able to get past those things. So seeking out the good and making sure people know about it. In regard to eagerness, not being lazy. Now, these next three, in a, in a way, fit together. You don't have to put these up yet, Mason. But in regard to the spirit fervent, and in regard to the Lord serving, in regard to eagerness, not being lazy. 
Um, this is, again, in context of the body of Christ. He's just talked about how everyone's been equipped with different gifts that they bring to the body. And so this is the local church, I think is his context. I think it goes to the kingdom and the, and the, the little C church, like the big church um, as well. But if you've been at a church for a while, God's equipped you to play a part in that church, um, and you should be serving in some way in that church. And um, I know that's, I know that, I think so many things go into that. Um, some, some of it can be just, people can get burnt out of it. Um, some of it can be just life is so busy that it feels like you can't add one more thing to it. Um, some of it can be not knowing what that thing is for you and just not knowing how to get started. But his vision for it is a group of people that are eager to serve each other. And I think, and I think it's part of our job as a leadership of the church is to make that a life-giving experience instead of a life-taking experience, making things, sure things are set up well, making sure that there's not a lack of honor in the people that serve, making sure that making sure that there aren't some people that are, you know, ideally the 80-20 rule isn't the 80-20 rule in a church, and that everybody's doing a little bit, so a couple people don't have to do a whole lot. And, um, and that's his vision for it, that people, that people would be eager to serve, and what you're doing is serving the body and serving the Lord in your serving. And right now, we have got, you know, we've got a bunch of areas that, that need that. Our, our guest services, you know, we're just revamping the way we look at that and could use some folks. And that's something that you do on a Sunday morning when you're coming anyway. And I've said this a bunch that that, that team and it is as important as any other team because someone could come to our door this morning that hasn't been to church for 25 years and their grandma has prayed for them every day and God brought them to us. And how we make that experience for them really matters. We've got Last week, Kelly said, I think, between the older and younger elementary class, we had 39 kids in there. That's a lot of kids, y'all. Um, but I think, man, when I, my kids went to, I mean, they had a good experience in middle school and at high school, but when they went to middle school, like, I realized they're getting to an age where things change just in how a kid thinks, um, where their friends are changing, where... Um, kids are getting into stuff that they ought not to get into, that they're going to hear things about Jesus and about the church and about just other ideas about what's important in life um, that are not particularly helpful. And so in this age, we, we and, and most of the kids in this age, like if they're going to resist coming, it's going to be in middle school or maybe in high school. In this age, they don't. And so God's given us a chance every week as a church just to love those kids and to show them that there's a group of people that really love Jesus and really love them. So that in a few years, when somebody tries to trash the church, they're like, well, I don't know what your experience was like, but my, even if they don't want to say it, they're like, that's not, that wasn't true, the church that I went to, and that's not the Jesus that I heard about. And we have a chance to minister to these kids, and for all the hand-wringing about youth and our culture today, this is our chance. Um, as a church, to minister to the kids and to minister to families, and that opportunity is there for you. If you have musical gifts, get up here. <laughs> if you have technical gifts, we can use them. There's all sorts of ways that you can serve. We'll just let us know, um, hey, 
you know, send us an email and raise your hand and say, I'm ready, and we'll find a way. But that's part of his vision for the church. In regard to the spirit fervent, this could go a million different directions. The implication is like a bubbling over. Um, fair or not, I tend to think about worship. And even this morning as I was sitting here um, listening, my sister said this once. She heard someone say the mark of a healthy church is that they sing loud. And in a, in a little bit of a toned down Sunday morning, you can hear you guys sing. And I think you do sing loud. Um, and that's so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging you to, to you just to listen to, um, to, to listen to each other worship the Lord. It sometimes feels like, and it's felt like this for a long time, where we kind of have a lid on things. We're just a more reserved group. This is probably my fault when it comes to how we worship something. That comes from like your background and um, your personality. Um, I grew up in a church that was a little charismatic church, kind of a intended, well, I think it was a spirit-led church, but in between songs, there was something called the Holy Roar, where people just lifted their arms and sang their own praises. I was a teenager. I thought I was a little weird. But what I left it with was like, you know what? You, when you raise your arm and you're just in a, when you're there and you're focused on worshiping the Lord and you're seeing him in a different way, because sometimes your spirit, your heart, your soul follows your body. And so you start singing. This happened in the car. I can start singing. And then all of a sudden I'm in tune with the Lord in a different way. And I raise my heart just as like a surrender to him. That affects the rest of things. Like, when we try and get folks to clap, we're not a very happy, clappy church. That's what um, the pastor in Portugal described their church as. We could be a little, we could do with a little more happy clappy. How many of you would be okay with a little more happy clappy? All right. So you guys need to lead us in the happy clappy then. Like, when, when there's a chance to clap, don't worry about your rhythm, it's okay. If enough people get clapping, then the rhythm doesn't matter, right? Because no one can hear you clap or they don't know who it is. It's okay. Um but like a, like a fervency in it. And that can manifest in a lot of ways, but worship is one of those ways. Psalm 150, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, with the tambourine and dance, with strings and pipe, with sounding cymbals, with loud crashing cymbals. <laughs> uh, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, fervent, that's his vision. In regard to the Lord serving, I think I just went through that. In regard to hope, rejoicing. In regard to hope, rejoicing. Um, and the next one is in regard to tribulation and enduring, and I think these two work together. Like, I hope we're marked by hope. And rejoicing is like celebrating those things um, that God is doing that are good. I was reading Nehemiah just the other day, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like, they get back to Israel and they read the word of the Lord, and they're all weeping because they know they're not where they're supposed to be. He says, stop it. The joy of the Lord is your strength and remembering the good things that God has done. A few years ago, we started in our staff meetings and our elder meetings and our business meetings, just taking some time to celebrate and remember the good things that God has done because it's so easy to focus on the problems that are right ahead of us. It's something we should do as a family just to remember the ways that God has blessed us and rejoice in those things together and be grateful for them because gratitude is lacking in our culture as a whole not in our church culture in regard to tribulation enduring and man i think this is something that we've tried over years to do well is to endure with each other um stephen ministry was a way of doing that of helping each other 
um, grieve. The Where's God When Life Happens series, where we just listened to stories of people going through times where they weren't sure where God was, was a way of grieving with people and coaching each other to grieve. I heard um, a talk years ago now where a guy said, life is a series of unlamented losses. Like we haven't grieved well, and every loss, whether it be the loss of a person or the loss of a pen, deserves an appropriate amount of grief, and that we're all experiencing losses in some way that we have to be grieving and grieving with each other. And that's part of his vision for the church. Like I said, I think that's something that we do, we do well. And in regard to prayer being devoted, um, I think we've done this better at different times in the life of our church. Uh, there are some areas where we do this really well, though. We've got a, a, a list that we send prayer requests out to. So if you have a prayer request, send it to prayer at oakcitychurch.com. And we send it out to a, a prayer team. If you want to be one of those people that prays, write, just email jeff at oakcitychurch.com or info at oakcitychurch.com or write your name on the card and put it in the thing, and we'll put you on that list. When those requests go out and the, and the comments start going back and forth on that chain, there's a sweetness to it, you know? I was talking to Kelly the other day about a Promotion Sunday and handing out bookmarks with the kids' names on them. And she, then she recounted some conversations she had like, one mom was like, do you know who got my kid's bookmark? And she told them who it was. She's like, oh, good. I know he'll really pray for him. <laughs> uh, but that was good. Like, she wants to know that. Another person was like, okay, I got this person's bookmark. Do you have any idea what to pray for him? And so just put him in contact with that um, young girl's mom. And, like, that was an encouragement to know that someone really wanted to know what to pray for um, for that kid. Like, devoted to each other in prayer is a huge thing. And a huge opportunity, and honestly, an area where we need some, some leadership right now. And in regard to the needs of the saints, sharing, pursuing hospitality. Um, and these almost feel like two things to me, like sharing in the needs and then pursuing hospitality. And again, I think this is something we do pretty well. Like we rally pretty well when people have needs and, and they're willing to say something about it. And so um, the, one of the benefits of having my wife had thyroid cancer surgery and me having heart surgery in the same year, is that twice that year we're going to get Pat Volger's little slider sandwiches. And they're about worth getting sick for to get those little things. And Terry Brown's cornbread, like there's all sorts of goodness um, that came to us after those surgeries, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, like that type of thing marks, uh, should mark a church, you know, and hospitality. And some, some of you are great at hospitality. Like, you are just always having people over to your house. Um, and again, busyness and distance works against us, but hospitality is something worth working for. And just times where you're resting in someone's living room, around their dinner table, just resting and sharing a meal together is what should mark um, a church. So that list is vision. It's, it's vision of what he's saved us to, called us to, what's possible. And like I said, I think those traits are similar to the gifts of the Spirit and that we're each better at some than others. And so the ones that you do well, do them really well and lead in them. And the ones that you don't, follow someone else who does them well. The gospel enables that type of culture and makes it inevitable. Um, you know, this is, it's possible to uh, despise what is evil and to cling to what is good. And that requires tough conversations and it requires reconciliation. And that can happen 
because the gospel is uh, true and because we come from a place of humility because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because we know that we're still in process of being conformed to the image of Christ and so we don't have it all together yet. And so whatever comment is going to come about despising what's evil in someone's life has to come from a place of humility and we receive it in that way. I said a couple months ago now that when, when there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus becomes real to you, that there's no condemnation for you. You just hear the affirmation of God because it's not your work that makes you right before God, but Christ's work on your behalf. You become more open to criticism than you've ever become before. Um, and when you become open like that, then this type of community becomes possible. And Jesus himself, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Like, that's it. Full of grace and full of truth. And that's what he calls us to be as well. And all the things on this list are things that Jesus um, did himself. Um, and it makes it inevitable because that's the, you know, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven that's the king, this is the kingdom that he's calling us into. This is inevitable. This is what heaven looks like. This paragraph. Um, that's what it feels like. And finally, the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, to do this. And I think about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that's like a parallel to this passage. And that's what, this is what those things look at like lived out. So this isn't a put your nose to the grindstone message. It's a message about how God wants to shape us as a community. And really it's a message of what's possible and what we're made for. Um, and the question I think I'd want you asking more than anything is, is do I want that? Is that the type of community that I want to be a part of? that I feel like I was made for. Um, because that's what he's redeemed us to. And ask for it. And ask God what part you're supposed to play in it. And he is our king, and this is the kingdom that he's called us into to be a part of. And no other organization on earth is capable of this. Save a, a gospel-oriented family is obviously capable of this. But no other organization human organization is capable of this. And that's what we get to be a part of um, together. And I, I, one of the verses this took me to was John 17. So after Jesus um, initiates communion with his disciples, he, says, I don't, he prays, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, and love them, even as you love me. And I think a church that lives this out is going to be a light to the world, because it's going to look like Jesus. Um, Kelly and Julie can come back up, and we're going to take communion um, in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And um, when Jesus offered this to his disciples, 
and said, this is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood that's shed for you. Um, I mean, that was obviously personal, and he was doing that for us. He was saving us from our sins um, by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. He was saving us to passages like this. He was saving us to a community like this. He was saving us to become a manifestation of his kingdom from heaven on earth. And so as we take communion this morning, uh, let's be grateful for each other and for what Jesus has saved us to and what he is doing in and among us. Father, thanks for the church. Help us not to take the church for granted, Lord. Help us not to settle as a church. Help us to continue to looking to you um, to show us where you want to grow us next as individuals and collectively as a church, Lord. We love you and we're grateful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.